Welcome to Jim's Take. I'm your host, Jim Vaughn. And I'm your co-host, Tyler Kennedy. This episode is going to be different from our usual episodes. We're not going to tackle and go in depth on a particular financial topic. We're going to do somewhat of a market update and explain what is going on and hopefully that everyone can understand it. This is the first of many episodes of a segment we're going to call Economics, the Stock Market, the Good and the Bad. So Jim, I know the stock market has been down year to date and you said you wanted to start with the story for us today. Uh, and I am going to start with the story. Uh, we were just discussing how to go about this. but So let's discuss market fluctuation and let's go back to October 1987. And I bring this up, Tyler, because you were discussing that, that day and, and you mentioned that the market was down and I forget whether you said 22 or 25%. And for those of us who were here, it was actually worse than that in the sense that during the course of the day, it was down almost 40% at one point, recovered dramatically, never got to positive, and then ended up dropping again. We had something called portfolio insurance. Portfolio insurance would literally cease to exist in the form that was used on Wall Street at that time, uh, in that it was a, it was a very dynamic hedging process that you'd, you'd have a portfolio and you would hedge it by selling futures and options on your portfolio constantly as the portfolio moved up and down in value. And what happened on that day was that the insurance started losing money. So that not only were you down in your portfolio, you were down with your insurance as well. And the idea was that the traders on Wall Street would be able to constantly trade these futures and options positions and with the goal of protecting the client's account, generating many, many transactions on the account. The hedges ended up losing. The market was wildly volatile that day, volatile down. In the response to it, Wall Street and New York Stock Exchange put in place various limitations on trading so that today, if the stock market moves too much and the numbers are like 5%, there is a halt in trading for a limited period of time before trading is reopened. So many restrictions and regulations were put in place after October of 1987 because of this trading, all of which took place, Tyler, as you were pointing out earlier, in a backdrop of a very strong economy. The economy in 1987 in the fall was solid. Interest rates were being increased to respond to that strong economic background in the, in the hope of reducing inflation back then. Yeah, I, I think it's pretty interesting that when I was researching this day, because I wasn't born yet, it turned out that, you know, this trading that you discuss, there was the rise of computers. And it mentioned that because the computerized trading had become so big, the computers would generate even more sell orders when the, the prices were going down. And that's what caused these crazy swings up and down. And then when it was going up, it would produce more buy orders. And you, I didn't even know that it dropped down to 40% that day at one point in time. I only knew that it fell 22% in one day. 
that's how the day finished. Right. In fact, sometimes when you when you see swings in the market uh, and you measure them during a particular time period, even day to day, the internal results could actually be worse. Uh, and that's what we had on the, in October of 1987. And and but all of this took place on a Monday. The Thursday and the Friday before were also meaningful down days. So you start putting the three trading days together and it gets even uglier. We bring this story up because there was nothing wrong with the economy back then that would cause this market drop. The point is market volatility is normal, unpleasant, but normal. That's where we're really going with this is that in October of 1987, there was nothing in the economic background that would lead you to believe that markets were going to fall this rapidly. There was no change in economic status. Markets apparently were just too high, and they went down from the, the lows in October. They would recover nicely. It would take time, always does, but they recover nicely. The economy stayed strong. How does that apply today? Well, today we have a market that is down. Uh, what's interesting is that we do have, in our opinion, uh, economic forces that explain it. We have inflation that needs to be addressed. It needs to be eliminate, reduced. It won't be eliminated. It needs to be reduced. And the Federal Reserve is in gear. It's raising rates. It's also ending its bond buying program. By the way, it just ended the program in June of 2022. So those two forces are taking effect now. We think they'll be successful at reducing inflation. What does reducing mean? We're going to find out. We don't know. But I think all of that will mean some level of slowdown in economic activity. We have so many shortages out there that we just don't see how we turn into a recession. But even if we do turn into a recession, we've had recessions in the past. We'll have them in the future. I don't know when. And good companies will figure out how to earn money for you in these environments. And we think the markets will respond nicely to that. We don't see much good happening in the bond market for quite a while. So the market is down roughly 20%-ish, depending on which index you look at. Some are down more, some are up a little bit more. My question is when you're investing and your mark and the market is down 20%, does that present a buying opportunity? Is that a present the time to sell? Or do you do nothing as an investor? We always wish we knew, don't we, Tyler? Yes. We always <laughs> wish we knew. Uh, and of course, you don't. A 20% drop in the market is normal. 15 to 20% drops in any given year are normal. It, in a way, it's a relief to see a reason this time around. That's not always the case. There is sometimes the market just drops. So we now we have a reason. So at least... And we see policy responding to that inflation and in, in raising interest rate. So there's some comfort in that. Does it mean we can't go down 30%, 40%? I don't know. Uh, it doesn't mean anything. We don't, we don't get any promises. So what should clients do? Well, equally, since a 15 to 20% drop 
is normal, we could be at the end of it. We don't know how that should how that'll play out. So what should clients do? Clients should remain invested and be confident that the businesses that they're invested in, the management of those businesses are working on all of the business problems and we believe on balance they'll solve them. They'll figure out their supply chain problem. Many of our clients are small business owners and they spend all day working on exactly these kind of problems. Uh, You and I had a meeting with a client who's involved in uh, providing one piece in a furniture automobile supply chain. Up and down their client list, they run into problems between logistics, the shipping business, the warehousing business, all of those kind of problems they run into, and it's quirky things that everybody is, is running into. These folks will solve their problems. They will figure out how to pay for it. They'll pass costs along if they have to. Clients may be resistant to shipping fees and gas surcharges, but ultimately, they, that will be addressed one way or the other. Tyler, at some point, we should, we should tell the story, our supply chain story, and how it took us six months to get envelopes. I wish it was six, Jim. Oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> it, 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 it was seven months to get them all, and we ordered it in November, and they finally came in. <laughs> so, you know, it's a, small, it's a small thing that really didn't – good thing we had ordered more previously, <laughs> so we were somewhat okay, but – you know, who would ever think that there was an envelope shortage? And our clients haven't been getting as many mail. We still do mailings. So our clients have not been getting as many letters from us. Yeah, we've uh, been hoarding them. Because, <laughs> because of envelope shortages. We're not the only business that's had quirky uh, supply chain problems. We'll overcome ours. Our supplier wanted to sell us the envelopes, and they now have. These problems will get addressed, whether they are silly, insignificant things like our envelopes or meaningful problems like baby formula. One way or the other, we will solve these issues and move forward. And we think that's good for the economy. We think it's good for a long-term investor. Frankly, if a client has any money uh, to invest and is going to need it for their future retirement, they should give some serious thought to adding new money in any time there's a sale being run on stock prices and the markets are down 20%. For those who have a financial plan, it is important to stick to your plan regardless of what the market is doing. Let's say you deposit $100 or $500 into your investment account each month and you're paying down your debts. Regardless of what the market is doing, we recommend that you're going to stick to your plan. That's, that's right, Tyler. And, and the, the person who might have started their career doing, making $100 and got the nice raise and moved it to $500 and is now getting very serious about retiring and looking to save $5,000 a month into their accounts, there's no reason why they should change at all. Uh, the numbers are bigger. The account balances for our clients get bigger. So when a 20% drop occurs, to someone approaching retirement, it's a bigger number. It's tougher. However, they've been through it before. 
So they've been inoculated. They've had a vaccine of sorts, I suppose, to market fluctuation. And they begin to truly internalize and appreciate that market fluctuation is normal. And the business that's underlying it is no different than it was before. As an investor and your mindset of, you know, what is this money for long-term goals, long-term financial goals, how does that affect your decision-making in terms of 20% drops in the market? Tyler, our our clients are all long-term investors. In fact, if someone was a short-term speculator and they want to try to figure out where the market's going next and see if they can make a buck off make some money off each twist and turn. Frankly, we're not the firm for them. We're, our clients are long-term investors. They are investing for their own retirement. They're investing for their family's reti- uh, retirement, ultimately. And that becomes part of this equation, is that our clients could potentially live forever. Now, I'm exaggerating, and I know they're not going to live forever, but boy, the evidence of some of our, when you look at the age and how healthy some of our clients are, the evidence is that they might live forever. I am being facetious, but, but some of these folks just keep going, and they are just having a grand old time at 94 years old, so good for them. You know, 75-year-olds with their parents alive, uh, we've got a few of those. You know, the children are collecting required minimum distributions. Very long-term investing is for us. In an inflationary world, that's even more important because our clients have to get a raise, and the raise in their income has to be by more than inflation. Our clients also have to teach their children how to become investors because their children will eventually get their money We'll also have to invest on their own. So that's long-term thinking. If 20% drops in the market are annual, mundane, routine events, and we happen to think they are, doesn't preclude another 20%, nor does it preclude markets turning around and going up now. Um, if, if we start to think that uh, we're following the right paths, to address inflation. So long-term investors would be best suited to continue making their savings, monthly savings amounts, continue participating in their retirement plans, continue paying down their debts as they have been uh, saving some funds, let the equity markets recover, and then teach their children to follow the same approaches. Yeah. So We're going to keep going straight ahead. Straight ahead. Carry on. We'll be right back after this. There might be a couple of a couple of tactics that when markets are down that we should mention that we try to to uh, minimize the damage. Jim, can you elaborate for us? 
Well, there's a couple of things that a client ought to at least consider. And, and just the client should be aware that in the portfolios we manage, when an account a position is down, we take a look and see if we can do any tax loss harvesting. And the idea is position is down 20%. If we can buy something similar, not the same, similar, we can realize a capital loss maintain the client's position in the market closely, can't be the same, and the client participates in any upturn coming going forward and yet has a tax loss that they can use to offset income to some extent in the future. So we do take advantage of tax loss harvesting when we can during market downturns. We do not sell out the position we, we sell out and buy something similar so that we stay exposed to the markets because we believe they will recover and we believe we do not know when. So that's a thought. That whole area of tax loss harvesting is part of our investment services. Second, and this is much more uh, aggressive, this is much more of an attempt to predict the future, uh, and you should get your CPA involved in this next idea in that a lot of our clients have uh, IRA accounts. They have, some of them have 401k accounts, but they can make a Roth election, and which essentially is voluntarily paying taxes now on a portion, all of a IRA account, with the idea that the markets will recover and any growth would be untaxed. So you're, you're, the taxpayer, the client, would be making a decision that they believe the markets are going to go up and that they'll pay less in tax by voluntarily paying now than they would pay in the future if they allowed the tax to be paid then. It's a tough decision for clients to do this because the markets are down and now you're, you're suggesting that they voluntarily pay more in taxes that, that doesn't click with a lot of clients as a good idea. And, and frankly, it might not be. You know, sometimes you make an argument and it just when you say it out loud, it doesn't sound so good. Jim, do you mind clarifying for us what the, the Roth election is? Does your whole IRA get converted to a Roth IRA or is it a portion? How does it work? What are the mechanics? You would make a Roth election on a portion or all of your IRA account, mechanically, your custodian would move the assets to a separate account labeled a Roth account. And that transaction, the separation into the second account is the taxable event that's reported to the IRS. You would do this because you believe the taxes that you pay now will be less than the taxes you would have paid in the future. This requires you to project your tax rate in the future. It would require that you understand tax laws in the future. It would require an analysis of state tax laws. Here in New Jersey, we have a very high income tax structure. If you were to move to Florida and become a Florida resident, the income tax on your Roth election would become zero. If you took distributions from a regular IRA, you didn't 
make the Roth election, the state income tax would be the state where you're a resident. So you have to calculate whether you're going to live in New Jersey at the time of your retirement, or will you live in Florida at the time of your retirement? And you've got to factor that in to your Roth election. So it's a fairly aggressive strategy to pay some taxes now in the hope of paying fewer taxes in the future, and to do that in an environment when the markets are down. Part of your thinking, not only is it a tax rate analysis, it's a, is the market going to go up analysis? Because if the market goes up from here, well, you're not going to pay taxes on the growth in the money. So that's, that's another strategy that can be thought through. These Roth elections work very nicely and are frequently accepted by clients who are having an otherwise low-tax year. We've seen clients, when their business is terrible, uh, make Roth elections because the business is generating a negative income. But this is a strategy that can be utilized when markets are down. We previously talked about tax-loss harvesting. That's another strategy when markets are down. Generally speaking, clients are well rewarded by just hanging on to their investment program through the downturn, let the businesses work out their own problems, generate earnings for their own companies, which should be reflected in the share price, should result in changes in dividend policy. Jim, as you mentioned, there's many different strategies for handling market downturns. But I think it's important to note before doing any of these yourself, we recommend you speak not only to financial professionals, but you have to get other people involved, such as your accountant in that. It's not just a one-person show. Jim, now that we've hopefully solved everyone's problems <laughs> in a podcast, do you have any closing remarks? Tyler, part of our service to our clients, and maybe one of the most important services to our clients is to help them, to encourage them to maintain their equity stock market positions when markets turn down. This is why they hired us in the first place, is to assist them and encourage them to maintain their investment program when markets turn down. That's part one. Secondly, is that these market downturns present an opportunity to explain your investment philosophy to your family. It's going to be important for your family to hang on to their investment program when markets have turned down. And you're going to do this because you expect the markets to turn up. You don't know when, you don't know how much, but economies turn back up. You expect earnings to increase. You expect dividends to increase. You expect all of that to happen at a rate greater than inflation, which maintains your purchasing power. And then you hope your children will be able to maintain the purchasing power of their investment program. The, the summary of all of this is that economics can be both good and bad. Over time, it's good. The stock market will reflect economics eventually. We think that it'll be good. We don't know, and we don't know when. But we hope you enjoyed this, this segment on economics, the stock market, the good and the bad. 
We appreciate you uh, hanging in there and maintaining your investment program. So thank you for listening. Uh, We appreciate it. Uh, Please follow us and like us. And subscribe. And subscribe. Vaughn & Co. Securities, Inc. Disclaimer. It should not be assumed that your account holdings will correspond directly to any comparative indexes or any of our existing client accounts. Investment in foreign securities have additional risks, including the risk of adverse currency fluctuations. Please remember that different types of investments involve varying degrees of risk, and current and future results may be higher or lower than those shown. Figures shown are past results and are not predictive of results in future periods. Share prices and returns will vary, so investors may lose money. Investing for short periods of time make losses more likely. It should not be assumed that recommendations made in the future will be profitable or will equal past performance. For the Vaughn Dividend Growth Program, performance is based on accounts that was managed for the longest period of time, and results are illustrated from inception. All income, dividends, interest, and other earnings are reinvested. Performance-based fees can only be utilized by individuals who meet the following qualifications. A natural person who or a company that immediately after entering into the contract has at least $1 million under management of the investment advisor or a natural person who or a company that the investment advisor entering into the contract and any person acting on his behalf reasonably believes immediately prior to entering into the contract has a net worth together in the case of a natural person with the assets held jointly with a spouse of more than $2.1 million at the time the contract is entered into. For the Vaughn Equity Asset Allocation Program, performance is based on an account that was among the earliest to use the program. Vaughn & Co. Securities Inc. believes that these results are representative. All income, dividends, interest, and other earnings are reinvested. There may be economic or market conditions that affect performance. Vaughn & Co. Securities Inc. buys concentrated positions for our portfolios, which may make our performance more volatile than that of broad market indexes, and our performance may diverge from an index, positively or negatively, as a result. Investments are not FDIC-insured, nor are the deposits of or guaranteed by a bank or other entity. Vaughn Asset Allocation Program and Vaughn Dividend Growth Accounts results are net of all fees, reflecting trading commissions, maintenance, custody, advisory, and performance fees, if any. It should not be assumed that the recommendation made in the future will be profitable or will equal past performance. Data and information contained in any chart used by Vaughn & Co. Securities, Inc. has been supplied by sources we believe to be reliable, but is not guaranteed. Accounts held at Fidelity Investments are covered by SIPIC.